Hi, my name is Jessie from the Vegan Society of Aotearoa, New Zealand, and we can be found at www.vegansociety.co.nz, and you are listening to Coexisting with Non-Human Animals. I know the human being and fish can coexist peacefully. Vegetarian. Vegan. Yeah, Let's well. get it right. You used the word animals, but I suppose what you should have said is non-human animals. Hello and welcome to another episode of Coexisting with Non-Human Animals. I've had some great feedback on the last episode, saying it was my best ever. I suppose that's because the others set the bar pretty low, eh? I hope I don't disappoint you with future episodes, this one included. Like a roller coaster, after the big increase in perceived quality, it's all downhill from here. I was mentioned on the Animal Rights and Wrongs radio show. Each week, Deborah and Eric talk about animal wealthy issues. I subscribe to the podcast version, which I'll link to in my show notes. We might not agree on how to best help animals by sticking to animal rights, the abolitionist view, or welfare reform, but it was nice to hear someone mention my show. It's nice to hear abolitionist veganism being talked about. Here's my mention from the last episode. Uh, now, Invercargill abolitionist vegan and podcaster Jordan Wyatt doesn't believe anyone should be killing and eating crayfish in the first place. He says he's decided to coin a new phrase to say that a knife through my brain isn't humane and has used it on pictures of all animals killed for the dinner plate. He says he would like to see the phrase used on stickers, shopping bags and the like. Now listen for details of his uh, podcasts towards the end of the show. On the other hand, lower hut man Chris Naro says he thought it was a good thing that a knife through the brain was considered the most humane way on the TV show because it could get people thinking more deeply about what is actually being promoted, the killing of a species. And as a vegan, he says none of it is acceptable. Mm, it's certainly got um, everyone talking about the issue, that's for sure. Now, we mentioned abolitionist vegan Jordan White in our story about uh, the killing of crayfish on TV2's MasterChef program earlier in this program. Um, now, for more of Jordan's views, you can check out his podcasts at... Ooh. Yes, it's a long one, Eric, and I'm sorry I've written that down, <laughs> but um, it is actually, and this is all one word, coexisting with nonhumans.blogspot. Dot com. So that's coexisting with nonhumananimals.blogspot.com. And I don't know if you've had a look at this site um, or not, Eric, but um, Jordan has um, covered a wide range of topics, including the mad butcher, um, all, all sorts of animal issues. Um, <clears throat> I haven't had time to have a really good l- listen to all of this, but... He really, really gets into it in quite great depth and, um, as I say, has a um, very strong view on a wide range of topics. So, yes. well worth listening to. That's excellent. Can you give that website address again? Because you gave it two different ways. Coexisting with nonhumananimals.blogspot.com Jolly good. So, check that out when you go home today, Eric. I like that Eric obviously had trouble with the long name of my show. Chris Noaro was mentioned as thinking it was a good thing that cutting through an animal's brain was seen as humane. Chris used to support my show. He even made a bumper for me. Hi, I'm Chris Noaro, a vegan from Lower Hutt, New Zealand. 
You can find me on Facebook, and uh, you're listening to Coexisting with Non-Human Animals. But later on, he disagreed with promoting veganism as a moral baseline, among other things. I really don't think it's a good thing to consider some ways of killing animals to be, quote, humane. I think it has nothing to do with making people think about veganism, that all animals should not be hurt whenever possible. The idea of a knife through my brain isn't humane was mentioned by our friend Sam Tucker on his show. Sam helped me by designing the pictures you can see on my blog. Jordan Wyatt, an abolitionist vegan podcaster, has come up with a slogan that goes, A knife through my brain is not humane. I've made some sticker designs with this slogan, which you can find at Jordan's blog, coexisting with nonhumananimals.blogspot.com. You can find Sam's radio show, Food for Thought, at ffttradio.wordpress.com. On another episode of Animal Rights and Wrongs, Paul Watson of Sea Shepherd was interviewed. It's really just a whole heap of ecological ignorance, really. But, um, you know, the Japanese are constantly trying to say, well, you know, people in Australia or New Zealand eat pork and sheep and beef, and what's the difference? Well, first of all, there's more pork and sheep and beef in that eaten in Japan than there is in Australia and New Zealand, so it's hardly like one or the other. But also, aside from the ethical arguments of eating any animal, the fact that no abattoir in the world would tolerate the kind of cruelty that's inflicted upon the whales, where it takes anywhere from 10 minutes to an hour to kill a whale, using harpoons and you know electro- electrocuting them or doing all these things. I mean, you cannot kill a whale humanely in any way whatsoever. So that argument just seems very strange to me that they would even dare to make that comparison. Also, another big difference, of course, is that the whales are an endangered species or a protected species, and we're seriously in danger of losing them. So that certainly justifies a, a no-kill policy there completely. Paul Watson mentions that Japan kills and eats more animals than Australia or New Zealand. I think it's a fair comparison. Whales are no more special than my little friends, a family of chickens living in my backyard. And about the number of animals killed for Japanese consumption, why, of course they kill more. The population of Australia is roughly 20 million. The population of New Zealand is roughly 4 million. Okay, according to World Bank, the population of Japan in 2008 was roughly 127 million people. Well, that blows my mind. People talk about overpopulation, but it's hard for me to imagine living here in New Zealand, where the whole country is half the size of New York City alone. Even if you put Australia and New Zealand together, a population wouldn't even match 27 million, let alone 127 million. Even if there were slightly more vegans in Japan than other countries, it should be obvious that more meat and other animal products would be consumed in Japan. Watson believes there can be no, quote, humane way to kill a whale. What? If you honestly believe there's a way to, quote, humanely kill seemingly every other animal that's used for our pleasure, why not whales? If it could be considered humane to cut through a lobster's brain with a big knife, why not whales? I'm sure an arc of plasma could zip through a live whale, even instantly cauterizing the massive wound. If the issue is treatment, rather than the killing itself, then isn't that acceptable as humane, if it's supposedly over in seconds? His other reasoning is that whales are endangered, that there are not many of certain species of whales out there in the wild. Well, some crazy New Zealand farmers would have you believe they have a solution to that problem. 
There's talk of farming New Zealand's endangered species, such as weka, because growing them for meat would create more of the animals so they wouldn't be endangered anymore. I mentioned this on episode 17, get some kiwi in ya. If Watson believes the only thing wrong with killing whales for meat is that they are fairly rare, then surely he would think it were moral to farm them for their meat, since it would create more of them? I hope Watson doesn't ever meet these farmers, or we might have massive whale breeding farms out at sea. Perhaps the people working on these farms would be called sea shepherds. Also mentioned on Animal Rights and Wrongs was that Lauren Horsley, of Eagle vs Shark fame, was at the pig vigil, protesting so-called factory farming. On her Wikipedia page, there's no mention that she's vegetarian or vegan. I suppose she agrees with eating, quote, humanely killed animals, since she visited the protest against factory farming. I'm reminded of a scene from Eagle vs Shark, where her character Lily works at a burger shop, and she mentions the crazy burger. Hello, welcome to Meaty Boy. I'm Lily. Can I take your order? What? Hello, I'm Lily. Welcome to Meaty Boy. Can I take your order? Uh, yeah, just a mega meaty meal, please. Sure. Could I interest you in the crazy burger? It's meat and then bread and then more meat. It's like an inside-out burger. Just a meaty meal. I'll just go get that for you. Hey, Lily, can I have a meaty meal? Okay, Lily, I'll just make it, okay? Well, it seems KFC have seen Eagle vs Shark because at least overseas, they sell the Double Down Burger. This awful-sounding Double Down is just fried chicken meat, bacon, two kinds of cheese, and the secret sauce. No bread or lettuce at all. I believe in America, something like a Big Mac or Whopper would be called a sandwich? We call them burgers, after all. It's not Sandwich King. In the case of this Double Down, though, could you possibly consider something without even bread to be a sandwich? Here's an American ad for the Double Down. They seem to focus on stupid people as the ideal consumer of such a disgusting burger. What's up with chicken sandwiches? Big bun, puny chicken. It takes two to fill me up. Give me more chicken! Finally! Hello, chicken. Someone was listening. It's got two of everything. Two pieces of cheese, two pieces of bacon. And two pieces of chicken. So long, bun. Mm-hmm. This is a chicken sandwich. The new KFC Double Down Chicken Sandwich. So much 100% premium chicken, we didn't have room for a bun. Tried an original recipe or grill. Hey, Colonel, you the man. Unthick. It tastes the unhungry side of KFC. Continuing with the theme of, let's market this at overweight idiots, only they would buy something this stupid. Campbell Live covered some New Zealand wannabe fans of the Double Down. Remember, it's not sold here. Knockoffs were made and tested. KFC, it was Kentucky Fried Chicken when I was a kid, but the fried was dropped because it was kind of a reminder of how fatty what you're eating actually is. And now, well, it's almost certainly not going to get a heart foundation tick, the double down sandwich. Two chicken fillets, two slices of cheese, two rashes of bacon and sauce. 500 calories a pop. Health food, it ain't. At the moment, it's only available in America, but an online poll suggests roughly two-thirds of you want to try it. So we sent Mihi Narangi Forbes out to make a couple of double-downs for Jordan and Mason. Yeah. Yeah. Some lunch. Some lunch. <laughs> what have you got? Double-down KFC sandwich. Check this out, man. Oh, no bread. I know. No bread. Give a look at yours. Chicken. That's chicken, right? Cheese. I want to take a bite. Bacon, eggs. Are they eggs or no, no eggs? What's this taste like? Mm. Mm. Oh my gosh, that's nice. It's 
bit different without the bun. It's not as filling with the bread, though. No, I can't even really taste the bread, eh? Maybe even a little bit of lettuce. Something a bit crunchy. Yeah, nah, yeah. Out, yeah. I'm gonna do a list. No tomato. No, no tomato for me. I'm not yeah, really a tomato true. guy. Yeah. Just got a munch, eh? Just got a munch. Kind of makes sound like you gotta eat it fast, though. But how much would you pay for this? I don't know, eh? Nine, bu nine bucks for a normal combo. What's the burger itself is what, like seven, six bucks? Yeah, seven bucks? six, seven, seven dollars. You could probably and do. And the snack burger's about two fifty, so maybe midway there. Five fifty. So you're looking at five or four bucks? Yeah, something like that. Four, nine, four ninety-five plus GST. Yeah. Coming down to the last bite, though. Well, I'm loving this one. Can't beat KFC. KFC, though. Boom. Come on, big boy. I'm almost here. I'm almost here. Come on, man. Come on. And that clip, the two mention their size. They are big boys and they need a double down class burger to be satisfied. Let's ignore the fact that this thing isn't even sold in our country. They need it. They've always needed it. I suppose it's like my Apple addiction. The iPad is still not sold here and it's driving me crazy. I was seriously considering importing a grey market iPad, like how I got my iPhone about a year before it was sold here. I would be one of those crazy people who camp outside Apple temples, I mean Apple stores, to be one of the first to buy the new iProduct. KFC is a brand of a giant multinational corporation called Yum Brands. I prefer the older name of Tricon Global Restaurants Incorporated. It sounds like one of those evil megacorps from sci-fi movies like Robocop or Alien where one enormous corporation controls everything, making food, guns, stealth fighter jets. Now renamed Yum Brands, its sales are over 11 billion US dollars a year worldwide. Yet, the two typical Kiwi guys in the clip were pleading, KFC man, please bro, bring the double down to New Zealand, we need it. KFC is not your man, or your bro. It's not a buddy you can borrow a few dollars off. Just try visiting your local KFC and begging for another free hit of the Double Down. It's a corporation, a business. They want to continue being part of Yum Brands, bringing in over 11 billion US a year, mostly by selling greasy hunks torn from animals. Back to the big boys who need the Double Down, I'm also somewhere around 6 feet 5 inches tall, almost 2 meters tall, and I'm more muscular than either of the guys in the video, but I certainly don't need a greasy mess of fried chickens and slimy bacon, with cheese dribbled down the side. I've listened to the latest debate with Gary Francione, and it was interesting. The host ended with... An argument that will not disappear or dissipate in this greatest nation on God's green earth. What an incredible statement to end on. Most interesting is that the person arguing that humans should kill other animals, because we're more special than they are, would seem to believe that a human life is more important than a chicken's life. Well, I don't know if I want to rank lives. I mean, is it two chickens to a cow or something? It reminds me of that awful, black people are three-fifths as good as white people. If the host also agrees that chickens and other non-human animals are not as valuable as people, and also that America is the, quote, greatest nation on God's green earth, does that mean that I, as a New Zealander, am worth less than he is? 
I've always found the idea of one country being superior outrageous, and especially so if I'm considered a second-class life form for not being born on the same rock as some right-wing radio host. Of course, being overly patriotic is not limited to one country, of course. Here in New Zealand, there's the similar term of God's own, taken from God's own country. As in, New Zealand is so amazingly beautiful that if there were gods, they would live here. Interestingly, the Wikipedia page on the term suggests other countries and states have ripped off the phrase, which has always been known to be a New Zealand term. How could there be more than one God's own? Unless, I suppose, these gods could live in every self-proclaimed God's own country at the same time. I don't know. Maybe they can. I found some other news stories I'd like to cover. In the news here is how duck season is rapidly approaching. I think I've already heard gunshots from the local waterway. From the Southland Times. Licensed gun owners in the southern region own more firearms than in any other part of the country, according to police records. That number continues to rise as keen hunters buy new guns in preparation for the annual duck shooting season starting next month. Senior Sergeant Dave Rains of Invercargill agreed, There are certainly a lot of shotgun licenses around. It's one of our national sports down here, I'd say. Mr. Five Ash said it was not just the men getting involved in the sport. About 10% of sales during the past three or four years had been to women. The story ended with a quote from a gun store manager saying, You can never have too many guns. Ugh. Well, of course he would say that, wouldn't he? But it's a scary thought. The Southland Times also had a story about a local slaughterhouse titled, Alliance Matara Gets Praise for Cleaning Up. Quote, The region's largest employer has been praised by an Environment Southland councillor for its part in cleaning up the Matara River. Alliance Matara's phosphorus discharge had reduced significantly in the past two years, and councillor Maurice Rodway said the company should be congratulated on this. At an Environmental Management Committee meeting yesterday, councillor Rodway presented a report on his visit to the plant and a tour of the treatment facilities. The visit was a follow-up to a report last year on the issue of sewage fungus growth in the river. The fungus was the result of a particular type of effluent the plant discharged. Well, so the freezing works, a place where animals are killed, had been a well-known polluter of the important Matara River, so when the waste was, quote, reduced significantly, they deserve praise? Thank you for not making as much of a mess as you have always been doing in the past. Sounds a bit like giving an award to a slaughterhouse designer. And the last part, some odd fungus was caused by, quote, a particular type of effluent the plant discharged. I wonder what that, quote, effluent was. When you use the term effluent to do with dairy farming, it means, well, number two, cow poo. In the case of effluent here, what could it mean? A particular type of blood or guts? And what are they doing with it now? What, it's not just chucked straight in the river? Is it buried somewhere? Or is it ground up and sold at McDonald's? Perhaps it's the secret sauce on the Double Down Burger at KFC. I also read a story about a truck carrying sheep having an accident. From the story... A mob of sheep took an unexpected tumble yesterday when the trailer they were in rolled on a southern highway. An investigation into the cause was continuing, but Mr. Wakeland believed the trailer got caught in the gravel on the roadside, and the slope of it caused the fully loaded trailer to tip. It took about three hours to clear the unit, after freeing the stock trapped inside, he said. They took a tumble? Really? That's how you describe a massive truck rolling over at speed? 
Imagine being packed in the back of a sheep truck. Sheep don't exactly get seats of their own in there. They're all crammed together. And then the vehicle, moving at a fair speed, rolls over and skids down the road. It's more than a tumble. And the stock trapped inside. I wonder what state the animals were in. At first I thought the newspaper should have mentioned the fate of the animals, but to be honest, they would either have been going to another farm, or perhaps a slaughterhouse. They were as good as dead already. My second last story, an Invercargill teenager was asked to imagine the scenario of, of Auckland Island pigs running rampant on D Street, Invercargill's main street as part of her speech exam. She received a very high grade and thanks the pigs for her success. These Auckland Island pigs, after originally being left on the remote island as potential food for shipwreck survivors, were found to be, quote, disease-free, and so apparently have become quite valuable for biotech purposes. Of course, as an introduced species, the Auckland Island pigs had to be exterminated. We can't have introduced species on a rock in the middle of nowhere, eating New Zealand native plants, you know. Although some were, quote, rescued for biotech reasons. Living Cell Technologies has set up at least one trial farm near Invercargill, where I live, to breed these animals. I thought the media was meant to be fair and balanced, yet the issue of keeping animals alive in a sterile room until they are harvested for their organs is never brought up. All that's mentioned is how great it would be for the people receiving the treatment, and all the jobs that will be created. I seem to be the only person in my city outraged about this. Some time ago I sent a letter to the Southern Times about the one-sided reporting on the issue, and received a reply from the chief executive of the company using the pigs. Here's part of the reply. They are housed in environmentally controlled facilities that give them a very comfortable existence and protect them from the viruses that modern pig herds have. They each have their own pen, which is a large area so that the pig can move around and lie out full length in any direction. They are let out of their pens twice a day for their exercise, to play and socialise with the other pigs. The pigs are given toys and the staff spend time grooming, bathing and giving attention. The pancreas of young piglets are taken to obtain cells that produce insulin. The piglets are anaesthetised for the pancreas to be removed, and they are euthanised while still under. In a separate manufacturing unit, the cells are processed into gel capsules in the product Diab cell. A lot of fancy words there. I probably pronounced them wrong. They knock out the piglets and then kill them to make valuable pills. That's a much simpler way of putting it. I don't really care about how amazing it is that pigs are given enough room to lie out in any direction, or that they get let out for exercise twice a day, nor do I care about the toys and the attention given to the animals by the staff. The fact is, these piglets, as in baby pigs, are kept alive to be killed for their pancreas. I, su I suppose they are kept alive until they grow to a usable size, no longer than needed for their pancreas to be ripe for the picking. Actually. When you think that the staff act as caregivers to the animals, playing and washing them, and then they take the piglets away to be killed, it's even more sick. I wonder if they talk to the piglets. Hey Billy, guess what big guy? You've led a good long life, although you were still a piglet. You had plenty of room to stretch out in any direction, and you got exercise not one, but two times a day. Now it's time for us to kill you for an organ that makes up a tiny percentage of your body. We make that into pills, and sell those for lots and lots of money, and the rest of you get thrown away, or perhaps sold as meat. I don't think it matters that these pigs can be considered to be treated well. They shouldn't be kept locked away from the rest of the world, 
and they shouldn't be killed for a single organ. The use of animals for potential medicine has never sat well with me. I think most people are becoming increasingly aware of how different humans and non-human animals are. Just because something works on pigs does not mean it will work on people. Our bodies are very different when it comes to drugs. Just think about how a simple thing like chocolate is very toxic for dogs. Oh, the scientists who use animals might say, if we don't use animals, maybe we won't be able to cure cancer. Well, if sacrificing animals to save other richer animals with more money is acceptable, then we really should be rounding up starving orphans from third-world countries to use them, right? I mean, maybe sales from pigs are sort of compatible with our bodies in some ways, but nothing beats the real thing, right? We should be harvesting poor people for their organs to sell to rich people on their deathbeds. I think it's rather obvious that organs taken from people would work perfectly well in other people, but we wouldn't treat other human beings this way, because it would be highly immoral. If we can live just fine without harvesting organs from slave children, we can live without abusing animals for the same purpose. I think it's sad that these Auckland Island pigs will be bred into such a sad life. The mayor of Invercargill has always tried to claim using the pigs in this way as his idea. He told the teen who won a speech award that she should visit the two Auckland Island pigs kept at Queen's Park. It has sort of a zoo area. To think, perhaps these two pigs out of the entire species will be the only ones to live outside, to see the sun. No doubt they are kept fenced into a small area. And yet, these are still the most well-cared-for members of their entire species. All future Auckland Island pigs might only be kept in sterile environments to be harvested for a single organ. This leads into my last story. Permission has been given to genetically engineer animals in New Zealand. From the story... Scientists have been put, given permission to put human genes into goats, sheep and cows for the next 20 years to see if the animals will produce human proteins in their milk. But people will not be pouring the genetically modified milk on their wheat bix just yet. The milk will be discarded. Ag Research won Environmental Risk Management Authority approval to allow a handful of scientists to breed and keep genetically modified animals at the Ruakura Research Facility near Hamilton. The work will begin with genetically modified cows and could be expanded to genetically modified goats within the next year. The article also mentioned how the animals will be engineered. How it works. Scientists take a piece of human DNA code. D DNA code is injected into nucleus of a cell from a cow, goat or sheep, sometimes using an inactive virus. Culture the cell and find out whether it is working and able to produce human protein. Put the nucleus of the cultured cell into an egg taken from the ovary of a dead cow from the abattoir whose original nucleus has been removed. Put the reconstructed egg into the uterus of a host cow, non-genetically modified. GM calf is born. When the calf matures, she should be able to make milk with human protein in it. I have no worries about genetic modification in theory. I'd gladly take a magic pill that would make me grow damselfly wings. I mean, who wouldn't? But I want nothing to do with experiments on animals, or commercial use of genetically engineered animals. And this idea of using an egg taken from a cow who was murdered at a slaughterhouse and putting it into a live animal sounds really gross, like something from a zombie movie. I often talk to farmers, both online and in person, and they seem so very proud of how New Zealand is to its farmed animals. 
They say about how all our animals live on grass and are not chained indoors, how we have such high standards of animal welfare and all that other nonsense. But it seems the largest farming groups are increasingly moving away from those, quote, high welfare systems towards what welfare groups call factory farming. I think we should all take interest in the genetic engineering of animals. It only takes one to get loose and spread its modified genes throughout the country. Thank you for listening to Coexisting with Non-Human Animals. You can find the script for this episode, as well as downloads for every episode of Coexisting with Non-Human Animals at coexistingwithnonhumananimals.blogspot.com If you want to contact me, even just to say you've listened, send an email to jwontdart at gmail.com or on Twitter, twitter.com slash j-a-y-w-o-n-t-d-a-r-t. I'd appreciate it. Thank you for listening. Away from the notion of animals as things and toward the moral personhood of animals. The choice is ours. If you're not vegan, go vegan. It's easy. It's better for you. It's certainly better for the planet. And most importantly, it's the morally right thing to do.